Please be seated. Please turn with me now uh, in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Our text will be verses 26 through 31. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Uh, Lord willing, we'll return to our series on Revelation next week. But as today is the first day of the year 2023, I thought it good to bring a sermon that would be particularly suited uh, to the new year. So our text again is 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 26 through uh, 31. Let's now hear God's word. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This ends our reading in God's word. Let's once again seek the face of God in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, our God in heaven, you are the one who has sovereignly now brought us into this new year, the year 2023, and we pray that by your spirit, you would guide and direct our steps. It is our strong desire, O Lord, that the light of your word would shine brightly in our hearts, this word which is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. So, Lord, cause this lamp of your word to shine brightly today. And especially direct us unto that one who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was less than 12 hours ago that our clocks struck midnight. And the year passed from the year 2022 to the year 2023. Another year passed. It's almost hard to imagine that we're in the year 2023. Well, I think every time that we come into a new year, it gives us a special opportunity. A special opportunity, on the one hand, for reflection. How was this last year spent? gives us, as well, an opportunity for resolution, does it not? As I look ahead to the new year, what is it that I'm resolving, with God's help, to do? 
Today I want to speak to you about something else that the new year gives us opportunity to do. That is, it gives us an opportunity to boast. You say that's a strange thing. We're to boast, but by boasting, well, we're soon going to see, I don't mean boasting in yourself, but rather asking yourself the question that as I enter this new year, what is the thing that I most talk about? What is the thing that I am happiest about? What is the thing that I take most pride in as I come into this new year? What is it that is my boast as I enter the year 2023? What is your boast as you come into the year 2023? And it's to that question that this book of 1 Corinthians is so helpful And you're going to see that it's helpful because, on the one hand, it very explicitly tells us what we are not to boast in, verse 29, that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's a directive for you today, that you would not be one who boasts in the presence of God. But then, what is it that we are to boast in? Verse 31, so helpful here, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So as we come to the year 2023, those two points are going to just structure our sermon. First of all, we're going to see what we must not, underscore not, boast in. We'll see that out of verses 26 through 29. And then secondly, out of verses 30 and 31, we are going to see what it is that our boast should be. What we certainly should, again, underscore the word should, boast in. Well, first of all, what must we not boast in? What should not be the reason or the thing that we most take pride in, the thing which we talk about, the thing which we are happiest about? as we come into this coming year. And verses 29 again tells us that no human being might boast, that is, boast in himself in the presence of God. In verses 26 through 29, uh, the Apostle Paul gives us a little bit of a window into the church. And he speaks here of God's saving purposes. That when God begins to gather people into his kingdom, he begins to gather a certain kind of people into his kingdom, it says. Verse 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. That is, who is it that has been called into this kingdom? And he says there that not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. The word wise there is the Greek word sophoi, from which we might get sophists, referring to those who are wise or those who are intellectuals. And as Paul looks out upon this church at Corinth, he says, there aren't many of you who are naturally really clever. Then he says, well, let me go a little further here. Not many as well are powerful. Okay, the word is dynatoy, from which we might get dynamism, or people of 
charisma and influence, the kind of people who get things done. Not many of you are like that either, he says. Oh, then he goes on, and not many were of noble birth. Eugenes. Not many of them had good genes, so to speak. Not many of them came from good origins by a worldly uh, standard. And so, in his mind here, Paul is scanning the congregation at Corinth. He would have known these people. Paul writes to them, and he's telling them, okay, as I'm scanning across this congregation, thinking of you individual by individual, all the people in Corinth, you know you're really a bunch of nobodies. You can imagine that. Thanks a lot, Paul. <laughs> Appreciate that one. Well, he's not belittling them here. It's important that we understand that. Paul loves these people. He knows that they're created in God's image. He knows that they are treasured as Christ's special possession. But Paul is saying this to make a point. And his point is this, is, dear friends, the standards of worldly success do not matter in the kingdom of God. That the standards of worldly success or worldly accomplishment do not matter in the kingdom of God. That is, it is not a matter of how clever or how accomplished or of what good birth I come from that gives me elevated standing in God's kingdom. I mean, he's basically saying to them, maybe, are you, for example, one who is especially smart? You're really clever. You're super intelligent. That doesn't get you farther in God's kingdom than others. In fact, you even remember who the Lord Jesus said that he's going to reveal his truth unto. Thank you, Father, that you have made known the kingdom to little children, to little babes. That is, that very ordinary, average, intellect people are going to gain the true wisdom that begins with the fear of the Lord. Somebody else might come and think that they're especially attractive. You know, like really good looking. Does that give them some kind of elevated, uh, elevated place in the kingdom of God? And the answer, of course, is no, uh, not at all. Actually, our outward beauty here is paling in comparison to the beauty that God gives to his children, remaking them after the image of Jesus Christ, giving them glorious, shining resurrection bodies on that final day. It is going to far outstrip any of the beauty and glory that people find in this life. Somebody else comes. Maybe they're really influential, powerful, you know, the kind of person that really gets things done. Well, that kind of person's power only extends over the passing things of this world. But God's children actually get to have influence not just for this world, but for the world to come. That is, God's children get to model Christ for others and tell others about Jesus and actually be used as instruments in His hand to bring others to everlasting life. That's real, lasting influence. So, What he's saying here is essentially this. 
not many of you are successful by worldly standards because in God's kingdom that doesn't really matter. I'm actually, by my grace, elevating you to something much higher than anything which this world knows if you are in Christ. Now, you'll notice here that it doesn't say that not any of who are wise according to worldly standards or not any who are powerful or not any who are noble birth or called into the kingdom. Indeed, church history has proven that there are some, there are some who are wealthy and powerful according to this world. Often there's not many. When you think in our own society, some of the least Christian segments of society are the intellectual elite or the very wealthy business people or the Hollywood entertainers. Not many, indeed is true, not many of these are within the kingdom, but some are. But the point is, is that if there are any of those kind of people in the kingdom, that they come in at the, on the same ground that anybody else does. As needy sinners in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why James and James 1 can tell the rich that they are to actually boast in their humiliation. Not in your worldly success, but in the fact that you are desperately in need of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, this is why he goes on in verse uh, 28 to say, uh, excuse me, verse 27, that God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. In other words, that God has taken these lowly people in need of a Savior and by His grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ has elevated them to a place that far exceeds any kind of worldly success or any kind of worldly standard. This is what he has done in his church. God has chosen, verse 28, what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. At the end of the day, he's saying, recognize this, that your boast ought not to be in yourself. Let me make a couple of applications of this point before we move on. The first point that I want to make, and we're going to spend a little bit of time here, and it is this, that we ought not to use worldly standards to measure the church's attractiveness. We ought not to use worldly standards to measure the church's attractiveness. You know, in my years of ministry... Uh, One of the reasons that I've noticed time and again that some people reject the Lord is because the church isn't the crowd that they really long to be associated with. with. You know, teenagers, for example, might look at the real popular kids, the ones who are attractive and talented and well-liked, And you might say, you might look at them and you say, those are the ones that I really want to be like. And you look at the church by contrast and you think, they aren't, they're a little strange, some of the people, and 
all these different ages that don't share interests. I don't really want to be like, I'd rather be like these over here. Same thing happens, I've seen it time and again, with people in their 20s or in their 30s, young adults. Okay, they get out of their parents' home, try to make their way in the world, and they see other young adults who uh, maybe are pursuing a, a lifestyle that is filled with kind of getting ahead in your career during the week and then spending the weekends having fun going out drinking with friends, or just a life that is filled with fun pursuits, making the most of life while you're young, and, and God and godliness and the church don't have anything to do with that. So they view that kind of lifestyle, and they say, that's what I would like. And the church just kind of pales in contrast to that. that that's what I would like. I would like to fit in with those people uh, over there. And indeed, I think no matter what age you are, whether you're young or whether you're old, at times the church can seem filled with people that are, well, at best we could describe them as rather ordinary and unspectacular. You know, if we were to make a, a who's who in the greater Springfield area, I hate to say it, but we probably wouldn't be it. You know, it's, it's the truth. Right? And so often that is the case in in the church, in virtually any category of human success or achievement, you would need to look outside the church to find those who are at the top. And because of that, some people find little attractiveness in the church. But I want to say to you that you need to realize that it is none other than the sovereign, all-gracious, ever-blessed God who has called these people to the church. These are the ones whom he has called because in these ones he is making the glories of his power and of his saving work known. And it's probably a good thing for people like you and me because we don't have it all together either. right? And it means that the church is a place for us too if God meets us here in all of our uh, loneliness. And the question is, can't we see that here, here, are the, the Lord's people? You know, historians of the first few centuries uh, recognize that one of the truly unique things about early Christianity was its, they would use the word, non-homogeneous character. That is, that the church kind of cut across all sociological lines and accepted as brothers and sisters in Christ. Slave and free, rich and poor, male and female, Jew and Gentile, and they were put together in this thing of the church. And dear friends, part of the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ today is that, it continues, is that the Lord continues to do the same thing. That in the same pew, you can have rich and poor. You can have a PhD with one who has never graduated high school. You can have lots of people scattered throughout who have little worldly influence or account. But here in the church, they are experiencing the saving grace of God. And there's beauty in that. There's beauty in that. So you and I ought to resist the desire among some to try to find... uh, an attractiveness about the church in any other thing than ultimately in the grace and the power of God. You know, I, I, there are some churches that want to be a church that appeals to 
young professionals or a church that appeals to artists or a church that appeals to, to, to whoever. And what we ought to say is we want to be a church that is for all people who are changed by the grace and the mercy and the sovereign power of God. And that's the beauty of the church. What makes the church beautiful is not any standard of worldly success or accomplish. What makes the church beautiful is that it is sovereignly chosen by God, redeemed by Christ's blood, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and is the place where Almighty God has set His name and is getting glory for Himself and is changing people into His image. And friends, when you comprehend that about the church, you won't be embarrassed about it any longer. But you'll say, oh, that is a body. With all of its outward ordinariness and unattractiveness, this is the body that I want to be a part of. So we must uh, beware of using worldly standards to measure the church's attractiveness. But then secondly, I want to say by way of application, that we ought not to use worldly standards to measure our own attractiveness. We ought not to use worldly standards to measure our own attractiveness. In other words, your boast must not be in yourself. You know, I wonder for many of you, what kind of year did you have this last year? How was your 2022? Did you meet many of your goals? Did you make a lot more money than you did the year before? Did you get ahead? How about your family? Was it a good year or a bad year? Do you have everything figured out in your home? Well, however it is that you answer that question, whether you say it was a really good year in those categories or a really bad year, what you need to recognize is that however you answer that question does not affect or impact one bit your acceptance uh, with the living God. It does not make you one bit more or less pleasing in the sight of God. Maybe there are some of you here today and you're a little depressed about how 2022 went. It was a rough year. And there are others of you that are kind of sky high. It was a great year in all of those categories. What I want to say is this, that whether depressed or riding high, can I lift you, as it were, out of yourself for a moment and say that your boast should not be in what you have or have not done. And that's not where lasting joy is found. It wasn't found there in 2022, and it's not going to be found there in 2023 either. God says to us, to matter to me, to be accepted in my kingdom, you don't have to have gotten good grades or have gotten into the right college. It wasn't a requirement that you got that promotion or that you reached all of your employment goals by the age of 40 or 50 or 60. You don't have to be articulate or gifted, or have a lot of money, 
Your family doesn't have to be perfect or all put together to be, into my, and to be in, accepted in my kingdom. In fact, if any of those things are true about you or not true about you, it doesn't make you any more or less ready to receive the grace of God. In the presence of God, he says, we do not boast in ourselves. The world boasts in themselves. How have you made it in all those different areas? What level are you at? What level of accomplishment have you made? That's the way the world looks at it. But he says, before the presence of God, oh, that no human being might boast in his presence. We are all on level ground before the cross. So as we come into 2023, might it not be that your boast is in your own accomplishments or your own talents at all? That moves us on now, secondly, to ask the question, then what then should we boast in? So our second point, what we certainly should boast in, and we find this in verses 30 and 31. Well, we can even move back a little bit. I hope you noticed, actually, in verses 26 through 29, how often the words calling and the words chosen were used. Consider your calling, brothers. Verse 27, God chose what is foolish. God chose what is weak. Verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world. Okay? Calling and chosen. Well, each of these words are words that emphasize, do they not, the initiative and sovereignty of God in salvation. The idea of calling is God's effectual call, whereby He has sovereignly brought us out of darkness into light and made us new creatures in Jesus Christ. And he says, consider your calling, brothers. Consider how it was that you were brought out of darkness into light. And then that word chosen is a word which refers to God's sovereign election. His choice. The fact that he, that, that his purposes of salvation are conditioned on nothing in us, but are according to his sovereign choice. And it is God who calls. It is God who chooses. The initiative is with God. And then when we come into verse 30, we see this. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. The Him there is, of course, of God. That is, it is because of God, because of His saving grace, because of His sovereign grace, you, dear Christian, have been now united to Jesus Christ. Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. It's the doctrine of union with Christ. Uh, the doctrine of union Christ, with Christ simply tells us that when God saves us, he, he, he brings us into saving union with His Son. And, and to describe it, think of it this way. That is, before you were saved, you were, as it were, harnessed to your first parent, Adam. And when he fell into sin, you fell with him. You share in his condemnation. 
You have a sinful nature out of which flows all sorts of kinds of wickedness. But when God saves us, He, as it were, uh, unattaches you, takes away that attachment uh, from Adam and attaches you to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now suddenly, uh, uh, being attached, that harness attached to Jesus Christ, all that is Jesus Christ becomes ours. Our identity is found in Him. Our destiny is wrapped up with Jesus Christ. So, who are you? Those who have been called and those who have been chosen, those who have been saved by His grace, you have now been brought into union with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And your identity is all wrapped up in Him. Well, what has Jesus Christ become to you who are saved? He lists four things. He says, first of all, verse 30, that Christ became to us wisdom from God. That is, in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so, belonging to Christ, we are those who become truly wise. That, do you know, if you are the ch- a child here who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, you have more true wisdom than many of the professors who are teaching at many of the nation's largest universities. You have more true wisdom. Why? Because wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. If you know that Jesus Christ is both God and man, and that He came and lived a life of obedience and died a death for us on the cross, He paid for our sins on the cross so that we can be made right with God And if you know that Jesus Christ is going to come again someday and we're going to be with him, those are important things. That's true wisdom. The Bible itself is the guide, as I prayed earlier, unto our feet. It's a lamp. It's a light to our path, is it not? And it's in the scriptures that we have true wisdom. You are enabled, uh, if you are a Christian, if you are united to Christ, you are enabled to see all of life through the lens of God's perfect word. He truly becomes to you, Jesus Christ does, wisdom from God. In Christ, you have true wisdom. But not only do you have wisdom from God, secondly, he has become to us righteousness. That is, in Christ, you have a perfect righteousness. Though your own works render you guilty before the bar of God's justice, Christ's works are perfect. He has met all the demands of God's holy law. And when you are united to Jesus Christ, His perfect righteousness is imputed to you and becomes yours. His all-sufficient merit is given to you. And what about your sin? Well, your sin is laid upon Christ. And He suffered for that sin and paid its debt when He died on Calvary's tree. And so if you are in Christ, then you have this perfect righteousness. He is your righteousness. Do you see what a help this is? Even as you come to the year 2023. There are times that you're going to have troubled consciences in 2020, a troubled conscience in 2023. You're going to fall into sin. 
does sin bring you before, or does sin make you liable to God's condemnation? Well, at times like that, you can remember, no, Christ, he has died for me. And he is my perfect righteousness. And you can realize moment by moment that Christ's perfect obedience and blood hide all of your transgressions from view. And you can rest in him and his perfect work daily. So Christ becomes for you wisdom from God and righteousness. And thirdly, he becomes sanctification. That is, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the Holy One, and he is the one who works true holiness in everyone who is united to him. That is, if you are in Christ, then the Spirit of Christ now dwells in you as the Spirit of holiness who is recreating you after Christ's image. If you are in Christ, you are now, or sin no longer has dominion over you, but you are now a new creature in Jesus Christ. And that enables you then, day by day, to say no to temptations that come your way, and day by day to seek to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ in the way he calls us to go. What a hopeful doctrine this doctrine of sanctification is. Because it means that when you come into the year 2023 still struggling with sin, that there is hope amidst those struggles with sin. If you are in Christ, you are united to this one who is himself holy, and that spirit of holiness is at work in you, and that sin shall not have dominion over you. And you've been given every resource in Christ to resist that sin. And yes, at times you're going to fall. It's going to be ups and downs in the Christian life. Yes, but friends, amidst it all, Christ is, he is remaking you after his image. And that gives you hope. He is for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification. Fourthly, he has become to us redemption. Now, the term redemption is a word which speaks of liberation, the liberation of those who are held captive. The Bible speaks of redemption as a past, present, and future reality. We were redeemed by the blood of Christ and redeemed when he regenerated our hearts. We are being redeemed daily as he delivers us from sin and Satan. We will be redeemed Finally, at the moment of Christ's return. And I think, friends, when it speaks here of redemption, that it's primarily that future redemption that is chiefly in view. When at Christ's return, you and I shall be fully and finally delivered from all sin and misery and death and Satan and from the sinful world and from the final vestiges of our sinful nature. The Bible elsewhere speaks of the day of Christ's return as the day of uh, redemption. And so it says here that Christ has become for us redemption. That is, in him we have the hope of glory. And that means that if you belong to Jesus Christ as you enter this year 2023, that you can do so with the sure and the certain hope that you are one year closer to your eternal home. That the struggle of this pilgrimage that you're going through right now, that the struggle of this pilgrimage is not going to last forever, but Jesus Christ is going to return 
and you will be with Him. That's the promise. So do you see, if you are united to Christ, it is He who has become to you true wisdom from God. He has become your, uh, your uh, uh, righteousness. He has become your sanctification. He has become your redemption as well. If you have Christ, then you have all that is in Jesus Christ. These benefits in abundance. So that's why he can say in verse 31, so that as it is written, and here he quotes Jeremiah 9, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That as you come into the year 2023, that your boast is to be in Christ Jesus and not in yourself. Well, let me just apply this finally in three different ways, three final words of application before we're done. And the first thing is this, that uh, each of them are going to begin in the year 2023. And the first is this, in 2023, make sure that you are in Christ Jesus. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying that if you spend your life pursuing mere worldly accomplishments, worldly standards, all the things that the non-Christian world thinks are important in really living, all of those things are going to pass, you, are going to pass away. Change and decay and all around I see, the hymn says. And that's true of our own accomplishments. They're here one day and they're gone tomorrow. And what have we ultimately gained by them? You see, if our boast is merely in ourselves, well, we have nothing ultimately to boast about. So what's he saying? Well, make sure your boast is in the Lord. And how can my boast be in the Lord? It's only as I am united by faith to Jesus Christ. And if you are not a Christian, the most important thing I can say to you about the year 2023 is look in faith to Jesus Christ and be saved. Trust in Him. It's your greatest need in this coming year is that you would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And might it be for some of you, even, that the year 2023 will be forever marked as the year of your new birth, the beginning of new spiritual life in Jesus Christ. Second thing I want to say, second word of application is this, is that in 2023, make a point of daily finding peace, rest, and joy in Jesus Christ. In the year 2023, make a point of daily, that is, every day, finding peace, rest, and joy in Jesus Christ. You're going to be wrapped up in a lot of things in 2023. There's going to be a lot of things. Your mind's going to be running this way and that way with duties and responsibilities and anxieties and cares. Things that have to get done. You're going to be pursuing this thing and that. For some of you, studies. For other things, things at work. Family matters that are going to involve your attention. What I'm saying to you is to remember in 2023 that your boast thing that you most care about, the place that you will most find joy is in Jesus Christ. And keep him at the very center of it all. Daily find rest, find joy, 
Find peace in Jesus Christ. Remember that he is your boast. But then thirdly and finally, I want to say this, that in 2023, make Christ your boast in front of other people. In 2023, make Christ your boast in front of other people. He says that the mark of the Christian is this. Let your boast be not in yourself. Let your boast be in the Lord. My question is simply this. In the people that know you, that you live with, that you work with, that you're friends with, would they say that your boast above everything else is in the Lord? That you'd rather talk about Jesus and find delight in Jesus. That Jesus is your all compared to everything else in the world. Is that reflected in the things that we post on social media? Is that reflected in the conversations that we have? Is that reflected in the things that make us happy and the things that make us sad? Is it first of all for us all about Jesus Christ? Make your boast in the Lord in this coming year. Might it be that when others see you, that they would realize that you aren't taken up with yourself, you aren't finding your standing in your own accomplishments, because the Lord doesn't call those kind of people. But rather, you are finding your all in all in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he going to be your New Year's boast? Might the Lord help that to be the case. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, O Lord, that the kingdom is not simply a worldly race who has accomplished the most, who has made the most money, or who's most attractive, or who comes from the best family. Lord, we thank you that in your kingdom it is all of grace. And it is all of grace so that it might be all of Christ. Christ in his wisdom, in his righteousness, in his holiness, in his redeeming power. We pray, O Lord, that in this coming year, that this would be a time, as it were, when our lives are recalibrated around Jesus Christ. That we might remember the things that we've been told today, that it's not about us and our own accomplishments. It's about knowing the Lord. Lord, our God, give us true peace and joy in our Savior, even today and into this new year. And we do pray with all of our hearts, O Lord, today, that some who do not know Jesus Christ, maybe it's some who are covenant children who are sitting in this room, Maybe it's others who are in their adult years and they've, they've played at church their lives, but they've never truly come in faith to Christ. Lord, might it be that this would be a year when they would become united to Him. Oh, do this saving work, we pray, that their boast as well might be not in themselves, but in the Lord. We do pray all of these things now in 